Welcome to Off Trail with Erie Metro Parks. My name is Mike Hensley. I'm your host. And today we're talking about invasive species and we have our first special guest. Hey, everybody say hi to Tara Kaufman. Say hi, Tara. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Tara. Hi, Tara. So, Tara, tell us what you do here at the park. So I'm the natural resources manager, and my job is to oversee and implement the conservation efforts that are throughout Erie Metro Parks properties. So some of the things I do is restoration and planting projects, uh, wildlife surveys, sensitive species monitoring, and then a big part of my job is habitat management, so controlling invasive species. So, and that's what we're here to talk about today. So invasive species from my perspective, and I don't know about Cheryl's and Melissa's perspective, is, is a very daunting thing um, because they don't ever really go away mm -hmm. and it's a constant battle. So we wanted to get some firsthand knowledge from somebody who is at constant war with invasive species. Yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> so, um, so when you're doing these invasive species controls, um, in your mind, well, in my mind, this is easily the saddest episode we have. Hopefully. <laughs> Sorry that this is your first one, Tara. <laughs> but I think these are... That this is, is harsh. It is, but it's it not is. because of Tara. No. she's. You got to have some, like, some some pretty, like, you got you to gotta be full of, like, constant battle and war if you want to do Tara's job, in my opinion. Like, because, mm -hmm. like, it's, it's not really, like, she can't ever win. She's That's she, No, no, but, like, I'm saying. No, like, I feel like she can win. I can win to an extent, but I think like talk like thinking about like the most frustrating part of it is that you put all this effort in and it's not like it's ever a like completed job. So you're always going to be doing follow up and you're always, you know, going to be monitoring and there's going to be more that's popping up. But if you get an area under control, typically something else is moving in that you got to control. So it's it's a little daunting in that respect. And there's just so many invasives and always new ones coming in so it's just a it's a big task but so what i had looked up was like i have a general concept of the invasive species that i encounter throughout hikes and with kids and stuff throughout like my jobs past and present um obviously there are some here that i didn't have before obviously because of the bay and everything um but oh my goodness there are so stinking many so many um i was blown away by the number first off and then i remember tara showed me the aquatics invasive book yes and that thing is like terrifyingly thick like yeah, you're like thick. well and it's aquatic so like unless you have a constant person out there monitoring you never know what's going to be new mm -hmm. and it's just yeah those ones are tough in my opinion because unless you're on the water daily and have a boat and sampling techniques you know for the ones that are underwater or even floating on top those ones those ones are tough there's a whole realm of those that you know we don't even really get to so cheryl what is an invasive species in whole for everyone to understand and get it like make as simple as we possibly can explain it without beating them with science <laughs> so it's it's a non-native plant or animal that have been brought over to an area so it could be on purpose. A lot of invasive species have been brought over by accident. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty simple. Yeah, I mean, and go ahead. Yeah. Oh, and it, and what makes it invasive is that it takes over a lot of our native plant 
and animal habitats. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you could technically have something that is non-native but not invasive, correct, right? Correct. It, you know, like we could have several not – like Ohio has lots of like hundreds and hundreds of non-native species, but a handful of those are considered invasive, meaning that they grow aggressively, can spread into natural areas, causing problems. Um, so it just, it just kind of depends. You still want to focus on native plants regardless, but just because it's non-native – doesn't quite mean that it's going to be invasive. But typically, a non-native plant doesn't typically stay put. So you're planting or putting that species somewhere, it tends to kind of escape or creep out and becomes a problem eventually. Excellent. So do you think that there are any that can be, that are easier to manage than others? Like, Do you think that there are some invasives that are like, oh, this, we'll just get that, that's done over with? Or do you think as a whole, like, it's just like they're constant and they're just, you can't really get a grasp on all of them? Kind of constant. Yeah, it, it just kind of depends on the area and what you're, and what you're tackling. And you, we're seeing new invasives come from different areas because they come over from all sorts of reasons, right? For agriculture reasons or maybe aquariums. People are wanting certain plants that they're ordering online for aquariums and then they'll dump their aquarium material out in the their pond in the backyard and it spreads that way. And there's just so many different means of, of getting access to our natural areas that it becomes an issue. So what I've learned is like 90% of the time, there are very few instances where it is it's usually us. It's usually humans who are introducing these species either by accident or not knowing that it could be a potential problem, whether they go to uh, buy a plant at a store, like you said, or their aquariums and things like that. But there are a few. Um, one specifically is the great egret. Did you guys know this? The great egret is not native to North America. No, I don't think I knew that. It's an African species. Really? And it... At some point, it flew from Africa to South America and then came to North America and now has managed to establish populations. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, because you guys know, Weird. like, European starlings and house sparrows, right. like, they were yeah. dropped off in New York and now, oh my goodness, like, what happened? Yeah. But um, for this region, uh, house sparrows are not technically native to the eastern U.S. either. They are native to the western part of the u.s it used to be called the hollywood finch that's what they used in movies and things like that and somebody moved them over here and now that's what's really hurting our purple finch population is that house finch population oh, so oh, interesting that one was brought by humans but most of them like we had mentioned are done by us and other humans so um and like it's simple things like your boots like one thing that i didn't even know like you're walking in a park and you step on frag seeds and then you, yeah. you pass them on to another and place. And boats. boats. Boats are a big one. Yeah. <clears throat> For sure. There's like a whole protocol um, that you're supposed to follow uh, about draining and drying and everything. Yep. Your boat from one, your boat, your whatever it is, your kayak, everything from one body of water to another. Yeah. So, and we've even, have an, we've even had to address in the park system with our, our mowers. So uh, our mowers are mowing at one park on the trails and there's an invasive called lesser celandine that they're mowing so pieces and fragments are getting stuck in the mower they put those on the trailer they put the mower on the trailer and take it to a different park those fragments fall off and it starts to spread in a different area so we've had to address that you know just something you don't really think about until it becomes an issue and 
and yeah yeah and i think personally i think the, the aquatic invasives are like that's a whole nother because there's so many things that you can't see first off when you look down when you're just standing there um i remember when we had went out with you that one time tara and you were talking about uh curly leaf pond weed you were talking about oh a few other ones and like i was like i didn't even know these were a thing like i had no clue and then there's even ones that are like microscopic like the spiny water flea right like that's starting to like that's all the great lakes not just uh lake erie like and what they do is they kill zooplankton that need to be eaten by other fish so it's really just starting to like wreak havoc and like never heard of that if you don't have the technology like tara said and the the resources to have a microscope and have water tests constantly to see that that invasive is there how would you even know you wouldn't even know and and at that point when they do start seeing them regularly or somebody does a test it's out of control at that point so that was something that i was just like holy cow like i had a little bit of stuff on that that water flea and i was just blown away at how much that they've progressed so quickly and we talk about invasives that we can see directly like frag which is can be seen near water can be seen in the medians going down the road we talk about the emerald ash borer which wreaked havoc from like the early 2000s up until recently um we talk about uh asian longhorn beetle we talk about the gypsy moth all those things uh but we don't talk about these ones that we can't see because they're a lot of people aren't affected or don't think they are affected but we are so um so i was curious um to take everyone's kind of thoughts on this um what do you think tara from natural resource perspective is our biggest and most our biggest battle here at the parks in terms of an invasive species i think it's i think it kind of depends on the park a little bit but i think in general the invasives that like to get their feet wet so that like the damp flooded areas so we're talking phragmites we're talking reed canary grass we're talking purple loosestrife i think all of those species um tend to get a little bit out of a hand within our park system that we've paid a lot of focus to you know in, in the past year so a lot of efforts have gone to those species there's a lot more um but those ones seem to really take over like we were talking about the phragmites it just really spreads aggressively it has crazy rhizome system root system and it grows tall so it really blocks you know the viewscape for people that are you know wanting to see out in the bay or go birding and then um so we put a lot of focus into controlling those areas and it seems to be an ongoing battle but we're getting some areas under control and moving our efforts along the shoreline so but it's it's a big one to tackle for sure see what's cool for me is i when i started here i never saw the frag before i only got here after when tara and the natural resources department like kind of already wiped it out right so like when i see those pictures i'm like no yeah you couldn't see you you couldn't see the water at all so like you'll see the overhead pictures and Uh i'm like this is insane like huge difference yeah Yeah, it's crazy and it's so much of an area too that has kind of been you know cleaned up and taken care of and it's just it's crazy to see so Tara, can you talk about some of the ways that you control the frag yeah like so what, what uh, were ways that you helped to get rid of it yeah it takes i mean there's not like any one specific way so because the frag grows so tall and so thick that um typically with other invasives you know we'll go out with our backpack sprayer 
and um, use a chemical herbicide and, and spray some of these areas. But because it's so dense and so tall, it's not very feasible to do that. Plus, it's growing along the shoreline of the bay. So for the frag in Putnam Marsh, we've had um, an air, a helicopter come over and do some aerial spraying um, to cover the main area. Um, we've had ground crews come in and get the edge lines of that and also come in from a boat. Um, so a lot of a lot of spraying techniques um, by air and by water and by land to kind of combination to kind of get those areas under control. Um, in the past, we've once it's been sprayed and it's dead, it's just dead standing vegetation at that point. Um, so in some circumstances, we, circumstances we've used prescribed fire um, just to put a fire through that area to remove the the dead standing stalks. At that point, it's not really helping. Um, preventing it from coming back, the chemicals did that part, but that's just getting all the dead vegetation out. So, so a little combination, which is kind of how a lot of, a lot of control efforts work. Sometimes it's mowing an area down and then spraying, spraying it. So it just, it just depends on the situation. Yeah. And I think that's amazing because that's a lot of the things that even as me, like as a naturalist until this year, until I saw a prescribed to burn this year, I didn't, I've never really seen those things done. Um, you just like hear about them and yeah. like, Oh, the natural resource department, they're doing some management. We're having, we're spraying over here. We're doing this. Like it's, it's a monumental task first off. And second, it takes a lot of bodies sometimes unless you're doing an aerial spray because of some of those large areas, right. which I think is amazing. And also a lot of people don't get to see that. So it's good for them to hear how it's done and mm -hmm. you know what we're really doing to, to combat it. So I also always feel terrible <laughs> when I see um, an invasive popping up in a park and I'm like, and I have to tell Tara, <laughs> like, hey, there's more purple loosestrife popping up over here. And she's like, oh, I'll mark it. Yeah, and right. <laughs> and you're yeah. Like, so that's like what I was talking about earlier when I feel like I'm constantly like, hey, Tara, guess what? <laughs> like there's more. Well, surprise. same here. Every time I take a walk in the park, it's never just the walk. I'm like, oh, I'm always spotting things and making notes or GPSing them. And so, yeah. yes. so and you see you know, like another one, you just like yep. put your head back and you're like, oh no. So yeah. So Melissa, what do you think is another one that's a problem for, or, or a constant battle for the park that you see? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, I, I mean, we've kind of talked about them um i mean obviously i think frag is definitely one of the biggest problems mainly because like just watching tara go through the the whole process and i've grown up on lake erie my whole life so i have seen pre-frag and really bad frag and kind of controlled frag and just how much effort and years go into the controlling of it. And it's not just like a, like a one and done and how frag is like designed. It is amazing. Like it's no Crazy. wonder it's hard to get rid of. Uh -huh. It's costly too. It's expensive. Oh, you know, we were going to get there, but invasives <laughs> in general are yeah. like extremely expensive uh, to manage. Mm -hmm. Like throughout the entire U.S., it's not just Ohio, it's not just Kentucky, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Everyone has these problems. They just have different ones that they're battling. So, so yeah, Cheryl, is there any other ones that stick out to you? I'm thinking, um, the lesser celandine is like a oh yeah, not like a newer one, but we've seen like newer patches, mm -hmm. um, especially in Edison Woods. It's a huge problem at the coupling. Um, it's choking out our native Virginia blue bluebell wildflowers. So it's, I mean, it's a, 
I mean, a lot of invasive species plants are really pretty. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it really has lesser selenine has pretty yellow flowers. They're I mean, it looks nice to flowers. like someone who wasn't aware yeah. of yeah. what it was. And like purple loosestrife, very pretty. Mm-hmm. When but I, super. When I first started <laughs> here, I remember I was here for maybe like three months and I took a picture of rush wild rush and i put it on my instagram (laughs) and tara instantly sends me a slack message this is what we used at the time and goes where'd you find the rush and i'm like what she's like it's invasive where'd you find it like she went into like i'm attack mode like where'd you find it i instantly removed the picture because where i was from i'd never seen that invasive never i I mean i'd seen frag like on the roadways when i drove by places and just never thought of it but like when I did that, I was like, oh, no, I got to look at more of these. And then I started realizing how many there were. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Yeah. So, and then, because it was a pretty flower. It, it was. was. It's a beautiful flower. But that's how those things start. People think they're pretty. They put them in their yard. They put them next to their pond. Yeah. And yeah. it gets out of control. Um, two that actually stick out to me. Um, and the, the first one, it's affected everyone, is the emerald ash borer. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of that. Um, and my last job, I had, it was everywhere. And it a lot a third of west virginia's trees were ash trees so wipe those out Mm. completely and then like basically makes the woods look completely dead and then i got up here and you can it's really easy to identify an ash tree now (laughs) you just gotta find a dead one right depressing Um, (laughs) so but those those trees that's a that's a big cut to a lot of uh (laughs) cut (laughs) that was a good one where's my it's too late now it's too late i love when you laugh at your own jokes yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, but it's a big cut to the large amount of trees, especially for Southern Ohio. Like the, if, yeah. if that's a large portion of their, their tree population, you know, trees are in, are in trouble. Um, we're starting to see a bounce back from ash and some that are able to resist it. But we've also seen a large drop off of that uh, insect and what ash borer. So, um, but that affected me here and there. So that was, and the other one that affects me a lot here is that winter creeper. Yeah. Yes. So because I, I maple sugar back there, mm-hmm. I'm constantly tripping because <laughs> of winter creeper. Those little vines are like intertwined between all the dead trees and up mm-hmm. the trees. So like it just kind of, and eventually they, it'll get up to the top of those trees and smother them out. So that's, that's why we've been cutting the vines in the mm-hmm. Southwoods, but it's, it's such a dense carpet of it on the ground that it's where do you even begin right like yeah. to start to pull it or just to spray that whole area seems a bit excessive and a little mm-hmm. scary to do with that it's just sometimes it's finding the right way to go about it and picking your battles i suppose and right. focusing on saving the trees and that's a tough one yeah well yeah it's and that's an ornamental like people had that in their backyards because it was a pretty yeah and then it creeps and that that wood specifically meets up with houses and it crept into the woods and just kind of spread that happens and the the crazy thing about it is is like you you just like ran over a list of things you said timing money what the best plan of attack is so like these are things that tara has to do every single time she dives into right. another natural resource project and and a lot of it can be restricted by money mm-hmm. and bodies that you have too like yep, manpower so we yeah. often contract out some of the work you know that takes more equipment and more manpower than just myself and um brad so if there's you know bigger projects usually every year we'll we'll contract out and get a crew in here to do some of the the bigger tasks that are too much for us to handle which helps but you know you still got to f- factor in costs for that yeah so 
for the estimated across the U.S. is a 2017 number. Um, this is the, the newest number I could find. Um, $137 billion in the U.S. annually are spent on managing invasive species. It's a lot of money. And, and it could be a little, a little higher or lower. Um, that's just estimated off of what people had publicly that they could, that they spend, like, like us, like government organizations that put that information out there publicly. That might not even count right. private organizations that are doing those things. So that's a lot of money that we, that Fish and Wildlife, that ODNR and a lot of other companies could definitely, um, could definitely use for other things, um, other projects and things that is not used in the same way. So I thought that was um, a pretty disheartening number. Um, so the other thing was, is I didn't know this, but for plants, it is actually illegal in Ohio to own and possess some of these plants. Now. Yes, it's a new rule. As of a couple years ago, I think Yay. they were trying to restrict nurseries from selling certain species and so therefore you can't buy them because a lot of people just don't know right like you go to these nurseries and there's so many different variations of one specific plant or tree and a lot of them are mixes horticultural varieties and people don't really know like they just see the common name but they're not really focusing on the scientific name which will guide you to the the native the what specific one you're looking for um, so I was pretty excited to hear that that rule come out. Yeah, 2018, I have a list of all the plants here. Um, and then there'll be two more coming out. Well, no, one that already came out in 2019. And then uh, 2023, that Calgary pear will yep. be illegal, oh, too. Good, so, I hate uh, that one. <laughs> me and Cheryl one day, uh, I forget where we were, but Cheryl pulled a leaf off a tree. And she goes, Mike, what is this? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I've never seen that before. And like after about 30, 40 minutes of us like looking at it, taking pictures of it, and she's like, I think it's the Calgary pear. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, and that's, we looked it up and that's what yeah. it was. So no wonder we couldn't figure it out because right. we didn't know what it was. We didn't know what it was. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. And you had said about people not knowing. Um, it's because you want to plan, like Tara was saying, you want to plant things that are actually native, which is almost impossible for people to figure out if they don't know exactly what they're doing. Like you could never just go to a nursery and unless if it's, what's that one place called? Oh. Ohio native plant nursery, yeah. something. There are a couple that do that really well, but for the most part, they just have the plants out and yeah, you're, and you're there, to, they're there to make money. Yeah. So, yeah. and if it, True. in combination with ODNR and um, the department of agriculture, the Ohio department of agriculture, they were able to make this, this law, which was awesome. It's about 30 plants that you can no longer get. Um, now get at a nursery or, or selling from places. So, and that gets really, I read that it gets very difficult when you're talking about large corporations like Walmarts and Lowe's and things like that, because right. they just have shipments coming in all the time in and out. So yeah, it's harder for them to regulate that. Yeah. So, and I, I remembered you had said something about one time you saw something online, somebody had a, like a, something with frag on it. I remember you had mentioned oh, that. Oh, it was, um, I, I vaguely was remember this. Something like an online store or something that had like, it was like a rooster. So oh, that's a right. rooster out of, uh, frag it was, seeds. Yep. The yeah. tail was like the rooster and it had like the frag seed heads all yeah. attached and it was <laughs> this really cool gift knot. <laughs> did you, did you tell him? I think I actually did email them back. <laughs> I think I never got a response, but I think I did actually email. <laughs> yeah, they're like, we don't care. We're yeah, making millions right. of dollars. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah but 
it was, it's a lot of, um, and like just, not just plants, there are insects, um, that are at a constant battle. Um, I see, I've found all three of the moths that we have, um, in our parks in multiple of our parks that are invasive. Um, and then one that I didn't realize was a lot too. Like I know that there are zebra mussels and things like that. there are a lot of fishes. Yeah. That yeah. A lot, a lot like that goby. Um, oh, yeah. There's, there's a whole, like, there's four different species of the carp. Carp, yep. I thought it was just, when they say Asian carp, they just lump them all together. That's what it is. So there are four different species of carp. There's two or three perch that are invasive. And I'm just like, what, like, how, how did it get this bad? And then, like you said, like, when boats take on that water and then they hold it and then mm-hmm. discharge it later, it's so simple. Mm-hmm something you would never even think of packing material from ships that are being transferred from different country and areas. I mean, there's just so many ways for different organisms, plants, animals to get over in areas where they don't belong. Yeah. And even just people kayaking. Yep. Um, you can go from one area and then you have a couple of speeds on your kayak and you plop somewhere else. And guess what? You just introduced some new stuff. Well, that's, yep. that's how they believe that the white nose got to North America was, a hiker or a caver or spelunker would be what it was called actually. I get right spelunker. Uh, spelunking. Yes, spelunking. Sure. Um, had walked in a cave or wherever bats were present, and the fungus got attached to his boots or his clothing or his backpack or something along those lines. And all those bats are designed to be able to withstand it, or they've evolved to um, withstand that fungus. And then they bring it here, and then it just starts to completely wipe out our bat population. Yep. Um, in a pretty quick and pretty high number. So, um, so for you guys, I was thinking of trying to think of everyone. Um, what was your first encounter? It can even be before college, uh, mm-hmm. before you even really got into plants and things like that. And I had to think about this one really hard. Um, and I'll share mine first so you guys have time. And Tara was prepped too. But my first invasive um, was uh, it, the Dames Rocket. Have you ever seen those? No. Yes. So Dame's Rocket, no. when they mature fully, they make these little, like they look like coins when they get fully mature and they're like yep. a seed. So um, when we were kids, we called them money trees. So they huh. looked like little coins. So they uh-huh. were called money trees. So There's I, one of those by, that's what they're called. Okay. I know what you're talking about. There's one by the giant cottonwood in the Southwest. Yes. So oh. those I didn't Sorry, know were invasive until right. I'd grown up. Um, my grandma would always say, don't spread those. They're not good. She never, I never, I didn't know they were invasive. I didn't, she did, I guess. Yeah. But I always remembered her saying that. We would just take them and like play with them and like pretend we were paying for things with them because right, they right. were like coins. <laughs> and we used to have them where I grew up, like all down by my parents' garden. Like there was like a whole bank. Mm-hmm. And my mom always thought the flowers were pretty, which they are, mm-hmm. like most invasives that we talk about. And like, I would just like take them and spread them everywhere so i was a habitual <laughs> invasive spreader as a child <laughs> without knowing that i did that yeah and then i also really, i really hate privet at my last job i do not like that one well because we didn't have the money um to like like stump grind and all that stuff mm-hmm. so i would have to cut them to the base Ooh. and then weed wrench them out and if you've ever used a weed wrench you're going to get some big guns. <laughs> like it was terrible. And 
they have like a shoot system too, so they just keep popping up everywhere. Yeah. I hated it. Oh. Yeah, my least favorite, easily. Only because of the way I think we managed them. If you could have a brush hog and just take them down, it probably wouldn't be so bad. Right. Tara, right. do you have a least favorite? Um, I don't know that I have a least favorite, but I really didn't even know what an invasive species was until college. And then you start to learn about all the different species and <laughs> you're like, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming. And then I'd go back home and then I'd start to realize like, like autumn olive was just like throughout the woodlot at, you know, at our property. And you start to notice these things and, and it's just drives you crazy once you realize what you have. Yeah. But yeah. Well, yeah. And, and the fact that you never knew before and you just thought it was, right. I, I mean, just thought this was a tree that was in my backyard. Yeah, how you didn't know. That was in yeah. my well, you're educated. Yeah. So, um, which, what's your first, the one that you remember first that like you really, like even once you started in college and you were like, Oh, this, this is bad. I think it was like the autumn olive or aimer honeysuckle, like the understory shrubby bushes that you're seeing in the woodlots because I grew up in a wooded habitat and obviously down at Hawking, it's all very wooded down there. So once I learned of those, I really started to see that everywhere in the understory in certain areas and, and you it can't, just takes over. And you can't not see them either. That's the worst part. No matter where you're walking, like yeah. you said, no matter where you're walking, like even if you're in like a different park district, that's invasive. Uh-huh. That's yeah. invasive. That's invasive. Yep. <laughs> terrible. What about you, Cheryl? What's the first one you remember? Uh, I was in college. And for I took um, a class called dendrology, and that's the study of trees. And for extra credit, we could uh, press leaves and dry them and save the twig and do a collection. Well, I collected quite a few invasive species, <laughs> and they didn't know it. And um, the, first, the first one was autumn olive. And autumn olive is, is a small shrub. That's an understory tree like Tara said and it's all over at Hawking too and um, they have a really pretty leaf though it's on top it's like a really like dark green but on the underside it's like a shimmery silvery silver Uh color I'm like oh this is pretty (laughs) I'm gonna gonna wow my teacher right now (laughs) so I pressed it and and I turned it in and he was going through my my cards it was um grizz yep me and Tara went to the same college too, so, um, so he stopped at the autumn olive. He goes, "Oh, this is invasive," and he just totally <laughs> tossed it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "Well, why is that bad?" Yeah, exactly. That's how she felt. Exactly. So I had that and uh, Japanese honeysuckle. Mm-hmm. That's a vine. Yep. I had that in my collection as well. Wow. So that was my first, like, oh, <laughs> my bad. Why are these bad? So, so that kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, slunch, this isn't going to affect my grade, is it? <laughs> <laughs> he still counted it because I identified it correctly. Yeah. But I did not know it was invasive. So, <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Melissa? I'm impressed with your guys' memories of these things, first of all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have something that sticks out in my brain, (laughs) Um, but I, one of the first things I remember at the park learning was um, garlic mustard, which Mm -hmm. I had known what garlic mustard was, but I didn't really know that it was invasive or that you can pull it and it still seeds out even after you pull it, which that totally blew my mind. And 
I think invasives are so fascinating because they are so good at what they do and it's just so annoying. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But um, we had gone to a conference and we had learned a lot about um, herbalism and they had talked a lot about like the benefits of garlic mustard and how you can turn it into pestos and teas and all sorts of stuff. So kind of like my takeaway from what that was that you can use all of these invasives for something better. So you're, you're removing it from the environment, but you're still able to get some kind of use out of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good because then you're not, it's not a complete waste, I guess would be the easiest. Well, and it encourages people to care. So like if you can teach people that you can make this amazing pesto out of garlic mustard if they see that pop up in their their yard they're gonna go pull it yeah they're gonna be like oh yeah they said that we could make this out of it or if you tell them that it's the cure for i don't even know what it's the cure for cure it will cure all of your pain forever people go pull that (laughs) (laughs) any ailments you have it's got you covered what's that right exactly (laughs) there's one that can there's another one that's pretty edible i can't remember what it is oh my goodness i'll Mm -hmm. think of it in a minute but I don't see a lot of it around here, but anyway. Um, so we had talked about invasives that we hated the most. Um, so what can the listeners do to help, Tara? In your, like, Yeah, well, f- the first thing is to educate yourself. And if you have invasives on your property or come across them, to remove them. And, you know, figuring out the best way for removal and getting them off the landscape and disposing of them properly and then, I mean, plant native plants. Learn what plants are growing in this area that are native and replace those invasives with some native native vegetation. And and then I think the biggest thing is just like being aware. You know, you, you realize how invasives can spread beyond wind and wildlife and rain, you know, like we were saying, the kayaks and your boots and, and just be having that mindset of, of how they can spread and, and doing what you can to help stop the spread, you know, that's all gonna that's all gonna help. Yeah. In the long run. Because all of those invasives, especially the ones that we're talking about aquatic wise, they affect us whether even indirectly. So they if you're a boater, if you're a habitual user of recreational water sports or whatever, um, they affect you directly because they're on your equipment they're yep. they could prevent if you're a fisherman for example they could harm the fish that you're trying to bring in um, all of these things um, and that's a big part of invasive species is they affect our health sometimes too um, the the water um, the algaes and things that are in the water and and you know when you're taking away organisms and different things that are in the water mm-hmm. that's harmful to the water and can eventually lead to um, not healthy water which we all get our water from right behind us. Right. Well, right behind me. It'll be in front yeah, but of you. algal blooms aren't necessarily invasive. No, not the algal blooms, but when we're taking out other species, you're introducing, um, you know, they're not able to help with, you know, combating those things. So. Mm-hmm. Long pause. We can cut this <laughs> done, part out. Done, it's okay. Done. It's so depressing sometimes to think about like how many there is Tara do you think that there's more plants or animals that are invasive actually have those numbers uh good well Michael let you know I I mean (laughs) I don't know like my my brain goes to plants because that's what I deal with here at work um I'm sure there's 
just as many, if not more animals as well. I just mm-hmm. don't deal with them um, for work. So I just don't really think about them as much. But I did look at Ohio's numbers for plants. I don't know if you had this number, Mike, but Ohio has over 700 non-native plants that occur here. And around a little over 100 of those are considered invasive. So those are 100 of those are becoming aggressive, creeping out of where they were planted and going into the um, natural areas and becoming issues. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. So, I mean, even though yeah. we don't want 700 non-native plants, it's good that all 700 aren't becoming highly aggressive. We'd have mm-hmm. some really big problems. Yeah. But as for animals and organisms, I'm not sure what the numbers are for those ones. Yeah, plants outnumber about four, four to one. Do they? Four oh. to one plants to and, – and it's like you said, like – we tend to focus on or think about the ones that are like aggressive yeah. and we see all the time. There are so many other ones. There's like some that are like, oh, what's that one? There's a clover. I, c- I couldn't think of it for a second, but there's a species of sweet clover that is not extremely aggressive, but it's about to be- become mm-hmm. aggressive. Oh. And that's something you're cutting your grass and you're just spreading seed and you don't even know it. Yeah. Right. So I wouldn't even have known it either. But the the, the fish was impressive to me. Um, insects are surprisingly high and that is just because a lot of people don't like bugs. That's the, the nature of it. Um, and the ones that are managing to succeed are able to outcompete other insects for pollination patches as well as, um, food because the ones that, that do come from another country, for example, they have no predators. Nobody really wants to eat them or you know they don't have any competition so they're able to just run the show basically mm-hmm. um which was what the ash borer did what the asian longhorn beetle did what the gypsy moth did and then what we'll soon to see with that spotted lantern fly that's on yes. its way that one's i have some friends in philly and it they said it's really bad because it doesn't really uh care like the ash borer cared about their host specific to the ash tree these guys just hardwood is fine for them any, right. one, any of them will do so that's scary, but scary. <laughs> there are some other ones too. Um, there's fungus and things like that that we have to worry about as well. So, so yeah. And we can always, I think there are other things we can do too. Um, you know, uh, per, when things get better and people are able to participate in pools, whether it's frog bit, whether it's yep. garlic mustard, participating mm-hmm. in those things, because not only is that physically helping, but if you don't know and you want to know, you can educate yourself by learning what they look like and learning what other invasives look like. So you're able to help natural resource departments everywhere, naturalists and people that are on the ground kind of trying to attack these things. Mm -hmm. So that's a really easy way for people um, to help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So now we segue into the news article and I had to pick a funny one because of how kind of gloomy this one was. So before every news article we always give a little all right so i'm gonna let you guys choose you ready i'm not gonna give you the article headline i'm going to give you do you want goldfish and i mean goldfish today (laughs) (laughs) or or rats goldfish okay goldfish one i was gonna say rats okay goldfish and i say rats so we're gonna flip a coin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, you don't get a vote. You I do them, get a so. vote. No. All right, we'll just do both then. Ha. There you go. Just okay. Both. <laughs> so 
they're both both can be invasive not all rats are invasive but some are the ones that are a problem and are gross and icky goldfish can be invasive they don't technically belong here so flushed goldfish grew to be kitten sized in nigerian river in new york kitten sized literally kitten sized -sized. i'm not kidding that's crazy and the reason i picked this article is because i have seen a kitten sized goldfish in lake erie have yes. really melissa you were with me we were at kelly's island and we were boating with jackie taylor and she goes look at that goldfish and like i look down not expecting a goldfish and i see a goldfish like she's like oh yeah they get huge in here people come and dump them in the water and they get massive oh it was like this, this like that big that's crazy that crazy and yeah. like um so they were doing like a like a river sweep for tests and things like that to to find invasives and they found this kitten-sized goldfish in a river in new york wow i've seen some big goldfish but not that big yeah it's it's pretty large i mean when you say kitten size you're talking like like an eight-week-old kitten not like a two-day-old kitten i mean he has to hold it with both of his hands yeah like just so people get a visual yeah 21 inches 21 and a half inches and I think it was seven pounds. It, was wow. a little, it had a little fat belly on it, a little hangy <laughs> belly. Like you ever seen a carp when it eats too much uh-huh. and it's got like a beer gut on yeah. it? Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so it was pretty impressive, um, in my opinion. And that's one thing that you wouldn't even think of. Like you just flush the goldfish down the toilet. You think it's gone. Yeah. And people do it on purpose nope. too. Like, yeah. oh, let's go yeah. dump some goldfish in this pond so we can feed them. I see them at that in parks all over. Yeah. Uh, Including one of ours. Yeah. Castellia Quarry. Is that that water? The pool on the shelf. I don't know if they're still in there, but they 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 used to be. (laughs) Eventually, they'll get eaten. Yeah. Yeah. There's no chance for escape for them, though. Well, that's not true. If we had a big flood event there, then there would be. That would be a lie. All right, the next one. Are you guys ready for this one? So this is kind of like two. This is my favorite article I've come across yet. All right. <laughs> Rats besiege New York Chipotle, uh, eating avocados and attacking staff. Stop. So, Ew. come on. What happened was is these rats had I Chipotle for lunch today. I know, right? Well, we don't have this problem. Okay. So, Continue. New York has a has a rat problem, and I had to do some backstory on this cuz in the article it's like the rats previously were becoming cannibalistic. So, when the pandemic first broke out, the rats didn't have food to eat. Like there weren't, there weren't as many restaurants open. So they, what they do is they will invade other colonies of rats and just start eating other rats to compete for food. Whoa, Didn't whoa. know that. That was becoming a serious problem in New York. Then places started opening back up and the rats are just going haywire. So <laughs> literally Gross. haywire here. This is funny because <laughs> haywire because they chewed through the wires and that's what wound up shutting down the New York Chipotle. Oh Not gosh. the fact that the rats are eating avocados or <laughs> eating the rice bags because it chewed through the wire and they weren't able to keep up with the orders. That's oh, why it closed. Wow. I was like, come on now. We should have cut it like back the when they avocado. were chewing <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> oh, so. That is awful. Yeah. Is. So like, and I've only seen, oh. I've probably seen three rats in my life. One was an Allegheny wood rat, That's which is cool. endangered. Mm-hmm. I've um, never seen one of those. And the other two were in New York when I was in high school. And <laughs> so I've never like, uh, well, not counting like 
domesticated rats right. I've or never like seen a lab them in the rat. Wild. So like, and they, and they don't care in New York. They don't care about people. They don't care about you. They're just there for food, like, and they'll fight you for whatever. So like, I can imagine, like, they were saying they had to like fight off the rats in the restaurant, like having <laughs> to battle them. So like, I'm like, <laughs> I would quit. Yeah, I would be like, I'm sorry. Eating there. Yeah, I would be like, I'm sorry, but I quit. There's areas of Columbus that have rat issues, like in German Village, where my cousin lives. They have rat problems throughout German Village because of like all the the local restaurants are all right there in walking distance. Everyone can walk around all yeah. the shops and stuff, and people are throwing chicken wings out, you know, from roosters and this and that, and the rats just like roam the streets. And then she, they get into her basement and all sorts of things. And uh, I don't know. They are they are resent like not resentful that's not the f- term that i meant relentless is what i meant they will just yeah th- they're you know, just a yeah. really tough tough species in my opinion and the the rats that are um like in new york and things like that those black rats they are invasive they're from europe so oh. and they're disease spreaders yes. too so filthy Ew. animals i would never eat there i'm not not a no new york food for me sorry <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad that we just have to deal with gulls yeah. <laughs> the French fry girls. That's what Willow yeah. calls them, my French daughter. <laughs> she calls them French fry girls because they're always eating French fries in parking lots. <laughs> so. That's so funny. Oh, she's so funny. <laughs> but, I mean, because they don't even give the rats a chance. They just they clean up. Mm-hmm. Rats are <laughs> filthy. But anyway, so I thought we'd end on a little bit of a funny note. Gross, but funny. Right. So, so yeah. All my right, everybody. Time. So I hope everybody had a good time and thank you again, Tara, for hanging out with us. And I imagine that we will probably have you back for a few other ones. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) That face said no. No. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Have a good day and we'll see you next time. Mm